to what you did about five million last year, something like that. No, no, uh, this is twenty fourteen. So last year we did upward of ten. Uh, you, you did what? About ten? More than ten. You are listening to conversations with Nathan Latka. Now, if you're hearing this, it means you're not currently on our subscriber feed. To subscribe, go to getlatka.com. When you subscribe, you won't hear ads like this one. You'll get the full interviews. Right now, you're only hearing partial interviews. And you'll get interviews three weeks earlier from founders, thinkers, and people I find interesting. Like Eric Wan, 18 months before he took Zoom public. We've got to grow faster. Minimum is 100% over the past several years. Or bootstrap founders like Vivek of Question Pro. When I started the company, it was not cool to raise. Or Looker CEO Frank Bean before Google acquired his company for $2.6 billion. We want to see a real pervasive data culture, and then the rest flows behind that. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. There, you'll find a private RSS feed that you can add to your favorite podcast listening tool, along with other subscriber-only content. Now look, I never want money to be the reason you can't listen to episodes. On the checkout page, you'll see an option to request free access. I grant 100% of those requests, no questions asked. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Mitul Bid. He's the founder and chief coder at Cody Toss. He believes coders are artists whose art is the code they write. He's a computer scientist uh, from IIT Bombay and has been delivering quality software solutions for more than 16 years. Believes he's just getting started now building again, CodyToss.com. Mitul, are you ready to take us to the top? Yes. Okay. So what is Cody Toss? Is this a marketplace to hire developers? Is it a SaaS tool? What are you building? So Codita is essentially a team of uh, engineers and designers who offer the entire software development life uh, cycle services. So right from user experience, uh, uh, architecture of software, development, deployment, support, uh, quality assurance. So the end-to-end services around the software development life cycle. And when and did it, you launch this, this uh, services team? This is in uh, November 2014. Uh, yeah. 2014. Okay. And walk me through how you got your first customer. And then the story that I sort of want to dig into here is you are the exact persona. You start off doing custom work and then eventually you go, oh my gosh, so many of my customers have the same problem. You build an internal tool and before you know it, you're building a great SaaS tool. So we'll work, we'll build that story, but take us back to day one. Who was your first customer? So my first customer, uh, well, I actually had a couple of customers, um, and these are all people I have known from my uh, previous uh, roles. Uh, and you know, it was before I started. Uh, I, I had reached out to them on about to start, and but, you know, I was amongst the first coders of the company. And you know, I built myself in the first one or two months and built the team parallelly, and then and then I stopped building myself and continued going. So what were they paying you? Were they giving you a spec and they were, you're paying per project or is it or an ongoing retainer? How did you monetize? It's always time and material for me. We've always charged for the hours that we've spent on it. And uh, the initial projects were largely ongoing projects, uh, which were already there. And we needed some support around uh, uh, getting a few more developers in the project. Okay. Do you remember that first year in business, 2014, how much revenue you did? So... Uh, because of financially in India ends in March, um, it was barely, uh, you know, I have to convert it to dollars, but around uh, upward of uh, between 100 to $100, $150,000. That was like uh, for five months, six months. 
And in, and in that six months, did that feel like success to you? Were you happy with $160,000 in sales? Yes. Totally. And then what happened in 2015? 2015, it grew. It grew to almost 2 million. And then uh, since then, it has been growing uh, on year on year more than 50% or at least, you know, upward of 50% or an average. So what, you did about 5 million last year or something like that? No, no. Uh, this is 2014. So last year, we did upward of 10. You, you did what? Above 10? More than 10. Yes. More than 10. So so this is obviously, I would say, one of the, you know, the hugely successful, right, sort of services firm. You must have had software ideas. Do you have some internal software products you're using? Actually, no. So uh, I, I was very clear about this, that, you know, the that's a that's the biggest problem why a lot of software services companies uh, are not able to, you know, scale well because they are always in two minds they want to build their own ip and they want to offer services i saw it as a conflict of interest i wanted to make sure i focus on what i was actually building you know, wanting to provide services um, so have, we have zero ip even today we have lots of uh, things which are repeatable reusable we do not claim the ip i just see it as a conflict of interest right now uh, services are doing really well I'm, i strongly believe in it and i want to Okay, so you see it as a conflict of interest. So you really are 100% services. There is no SaaS tool here. What's your team size today? How many people full time? Uh, we are about 440. 440. And how many of them are engineers? So almost 360 would be on Can you Can you explain me? A lot of my listeners are trying to open up or find firms like yours in Bangalore, right? Or or just you know other places in Chennai, other places in India. Help me understand how and what it's like working with a, a development team in India. What, what's a big mistake that Americans make when they try and open an Indian, uh, you know, an Indian center for development? Right. So uh, actually, that's the uh, one of the biggest reasons I heard. So the story about why I started in this in the first place about this was exactly because of, of the feedback I got from a lot of colleagues. So I used to, you know, the first ten years of my career, I was a coder myself. I used to travel to the U.S. and um, go to develop conferences. In a lot of developer conferences, I used to get one very, very common feedback uh, uh, around the code quality, which you know India produces. And so, when we, <clears throat> if there was some metric which would get an average called code quality, which India writes, right? of course, you know, uh, it would be below standard, below average. And I, as a coder in India, took it very personally. I was a clean coder. I was very passionate about quality coding, and I wanted to make a change. And the fundamental difference and reason over here was wasn't that the Indian coder was not good, because that most software services businesses in India looked at it like a business. Nothing wrong with it. I totally agree. But you know, they missed the mark by looking at the building block, which is code. So clean code was not something which was promoted by a lot of companies. And I was fortunate to have worked in companies where clean code was genuinely promoted. <clears throat> and you know, while starting the company, I wanted to make sure I focus on that. So you know, if you, if you look at the name of the company, Coditas, the tagline, Code is Art, strong believers. We are, you know, <laughs> the entire growth, the entire philosophy hasn't changed from day zero. And that's the biggest thing. You know, you are the people who have tried to work with India and uh, that, that and, and found that difference, right? So when you're working with techies from the Bay Area, for example, we work with them, they expect a similar level of thought process in a multiple ways you know so that's number one and the number two which i really really also wanted to focus on was entire cultural aspect about work-life balance making sure the team is culturally aligned with the clients and you know, timelines you know making sure deliverables are met saying no at the time <laughs> so, you know, a lot of people do not know how to say no so we are, we are super transparent you know we 
we never promise a bug free software for example right so you know uh, you know most of my counterparts other companies will say we give you bug free software uh, anyone who promises bug free software has never written software or has, hasn't built so we very on there are always bugs there are always bugs right and uh, like you know we are clear about it. we'll write clean code it will be easier for you to find the bugs it'll be easier to maintain so we are very honest right and uh, so those are the things right uh, look for companies which are honest which are focusing on the basics around code quality and you know you speak to us I speak to any who's like a lot of my friends have some companies a lot of, i know lot many companies like ours so it's it's very easy for you to if you dig in you ask the right questions you'll get the right people uh, there's a lot of uh, there are lots of kinds of companies in india right uh, which are the offering services but i think this should be the largest differentiator around focus on the code quality or your focus on the quality listening right now signs up goes to politas.com and wants to work with you what should they sort of expect to pay per hour uh, for development work via via politas so it, 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 since we are offering services which is a very wide variety like since we also have quality assurance services project management services uh, user experience services and we have people with all experiences we have people who have just one year of experience to people with 25 years of experience so the range over there is very large so it starts at literally you know, 10 to 12 dollars an hour to up to 50 plus dollars an hour right uh, and a lot of our rates also blended so we typically do not uh, we avoid charging or, or even getting some of our key guys as dedicated people on the projects you know, like a cto like you know uh, we have people at the cto level but they are never dedicated on a single project they'll be yep. on multiple projects and they sh- and that's, that's how uh, you know a lot of our clients get the benefit they get the top people uh, shared across projects and you know they get the knowledge that they want uh, in a shared fashion how many clients did you work on for at least an hour last year so uh, last year so we we currently have around 35 40 active clients and that's the kind of uh, size we've been maintaining over the lifetime we would have served more than 150 clients because what happens is uh, we we used to get a lot of small projects in the get over but yeah. our engagement now has largely been product development uh, in fact for a lot of our clients uh, we own the entire engineering for them right end to end right from so we are the cpo we are the like 100% of the software product engineering is being done by us and like i have clients whom i began with 6 years ago who are still with us we have clients who like a multi so uh, it's going so a lot of uh, we're moving towards you know longer teams and larger uh, projects uh, now but 30 35 clients is again uh, of an average you should go always had yeah that makes sense so, i mean if you did if you had 40 clients last year and you broke 10 million revenue here they're paying something on average of like $20,000 a month something like that right right so again you know the average is a you know good metric but you know we have projects where we only have only one developer we have projects with 90 developers right so uh difficult big, big range yeah yeah range. what what did your top of the 10 million of revenue did last year what did your top customer make up make up So um so I have uh, three four large clients so uh, one of the largest uh, was in the travel and loyalty space um and then you we have clients in the uh you know, the uh, the person who introduced us uh, connect and sell which is into you know the automated dial dial space and then we have uh, people in the genetic space uh, we have a very wide variety of projects so at at one end we are doing you know cancer detection based on your genetics and the other uh, end we're building software to manage horses right uh, so uh, it's a big variety and uh, so as a company i have never looked at a domain or even a technology as a niche area uh, we are fairly open uh, so we we have a very large breadth that way yeah that makes sense 
I mean, so, so I'm trying to put my head in my listener's head. So let's use Connect himself, for example. Chris came on my show, gave a great interview. It shocked yes. me when he said he scaled to $25 million in revenue. And basically yeah. the entire dev team is you. Yes. So so if Chris ever wanted to sell Connect himself, and then a prior got in and started doing diligence and realized the whole tech team was with you, is that a good thing or a bad thing for the acquisition? It really depends, right, uh, on what the acquirer is acquiring it for, first of all, right? And we do, and so we've, we've got this question very often, especially from potential investors. So, you know, we, 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 we make in a clause whereby the client can potentially buy the team, uh, you know, uh, if they want uh, as well. The acquirer can buy the team for some. So, yeah, that, that can be fixed at you know, a pre-agreed amount on the contracts. And there's a build operate transfer agreement or a transfer of team agreement that we have. Uh, usually not a preference because, you know, uh, even, so we've had some clients who've been acquired, but they've continued and grown the teams with us because, you know, you know there's a different, they've, they've understood the whole thing very well. They yeah. came and met us and they've grown the teams you know, or, or we've had multiple such instances. But yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes. Some people, yeah. No, it's very, it's, it's very interesting because you know, a guy like me that doesn't care about chasing a VC valuation or even exiting one day, I just want really good developers to build a great product. This is a way easier solution than trying to hire developers directly, train them, set up their environments, etc. You know, you do this for a living. Um, can you handle more clients or are you sort of tapped out at 40? No, so we've always been <laughs> on the edge, Elvis, right? So since we began, we've, uh, I, I think the biggest challenge we've always had is getting the talent at the quality levels we are kind of hiring for. Uh, so we've stepped up the game in our learning and development, you know, coaching and, you know, uh, so we have, we are overall improving our, uh, you know, uh, way to get in more people, uh, hire more people. Uh, and that's the challenge. Clients has never been a challenge, but you know, be between projects, we always generally have some small capacity. A, a, a lot of clients who we've done well with are clients we started small with and we grew the teams together, right? So, you know, in fact, a lot of clients, we started the project from scratch. You know, we started with three people and today they are very large clients with, you know, or even post acquisitions have been become very large. So, uh, it's, well, this is your advantage, right? If I tell you and email you one day, hey, we have three engineers, I want to move faster, can we double it to six? You can flip a switch and have six instantly. That would take six months of my time as a founder to go hire three engineers. Correct, correct. That's true. That, that's that's a, one of the biggest advantages. And now, since we are scaling and we, we overall have a larger bench, you know, we always try to maintain a certain percentage of the team as a bench, uh, as you know, buffers and available. So it's always kind of uh, for short term, large bursts, and you can have have three of them for three moments, and then again scale down back to the you know, uh, original three. That's smart. And my, one of my questions is going to be: How do you prevent founders like me from falling in love with your developers and hiring them directly? But you already have a plan for that. There's a clause where you can actually buy the team already. Yeah, so that is that's the eventuality, and that's you know uh, it, it's an expensive clause, and that's for investors to make sure that you know there is an option to do it. It's like you know when you're getting a company acquired, you'll pay a multiple of you know your earnings. So I'll, I'll How much is that? If I'm paying you ten grand a month for three developers, and I want to end up bringing them on my team full time, what might that look like? So again, it will depend on you know we'll first have to agree upon a minimum commitment number one, right? So you know I, I wouldn't allow you to uh, transfer them for the first one or two years, right? And after that, it will be relatively high. You know, I typically would take a, a fairly a minimum six to ten uh, one year of a billing kind of a thing to execute that. Uh, that's rarely happened. Uh, in fact, you know a lot of clients just prefer us running the teams. Uh, you know even a post acquisition or you know post the investor understanding this, which is an option available, right? So uh, you know. 
in the worst case kind of a scenario. But uh, the, other, the other part is my IP is my team, right? Uh, the biggest challenge is not getting clients, it's getting the right team members. So we have a very strong non-solicitation process, which our clients understand. Right? So you, you can, you sh- again, uh, ideally, you should not be hiring from me directly. It's a relationship also. Um, and uh, our team members also have signed up with us that you know they cannot work with clients. And they're loving it. I'm seeing pictures of you guys rafting together on a white water on, on your website. There's clearly a strong culture here, which is important. Yes, yes. So uh, uh, we are very, very clear. People first culture is, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, I can go on record saying, you know, I don't care about investors because I don't have any. <laughs> I'm, I'm so you're, you're, about, you're bootstrapped. 110%. Yeah. So, you know, $1,500 okay. to whatever, $15 million today. So you, so you personally, when you launched, you put in $1,500 to start. Right. And that was because that's a paid up capital required. Okay, you, know, we, you declare some money which you know, the starting up. So we put in 1500 I don't think we even use that fully. And we've never added <laughs> a dollar more to the company yet. And we and now. Are you, a sole co- are you a sole founder or are there co founders? No, so me and my wife are co founders. Uh, wow. And, uh, <clears throat> and we've now brought in a lot of team members and stakeholders. And, and that's the what I want to do. I want to keep on getting team members within the team to come become stakeholders. Uh, uh, I strongly believe that I want the pie to grow large. I don't want to necessarily hold on to the share of the pie. Do you pay any profit sharing out to the team? So that's the engagement I had with some of the people who've joined as stakeholders now. So, you know, there was a profit sharing, which I had with a few team members. And now they're part of the larger organ. You know, they're part of the equity holders now. And, uh, they, you know, they really helped grow the team. So I think... One thing I always uh, tell everyone is that the growth of the you know entire organization is dependent on each and every person. You know, everyone has contributed, and that's very clear about how we want to continue moving forward. Also, Mitchell, this is a this is a heck of a story. Thanks for making time for me. Let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, favorite business book. I'm not a much of a reader, but uh, recently uh, I, I I read a, a book by a friend uh, called "Let's Build a Company: uh, A Startup Story Minus the Bullshit." Fairly, uh, I was pretty impressed by the book. Yeah. Number two, is there a founder you're following or studying? So I love uh, Sridhar Vembu, uh, Zoho CEO. Uh, great role model. I just love him. Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building Cody tasks? I no longer code, so <laughs> as in because I don't have time for it. I, I uh, but uh, yeah, G Suite. I think that's where most of my time is. Right, uh, Gmail particularly, but G Suite. Uh, all companies. Uh, number number four. How many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh, I need that. Uh, I am very clear. If I don't sleep, I I I, I can't function. So how many hours? Minimum seven. Seven. Okay. And what's your? Uh, well, you mentioned Mary. Do you have any kids? Yep. Uh, two daughters. Wow. Okay. Two kids. And how old are you? I am thirty nine. Thirty nine. Last question. What's something you wish you knew when you were twenty? Um. I wish I knew people were complex. <laughs> uh, so over the period of I've learned, uh, I've improved myself in my people's skills and uh, learned more. Guys, so many statues I have on would whisper in my ear and say, we use this firm called Cody Toss in India to do all of our development. Like Chris at Connect and Sell who broke 25 million bucks in revenue. I said, I got to talk to the guy behind Cody Toss. It turns out it's Mikal and his wife building a great organization. There were 400 folks on the team. They did over 10 million revenue last year, really helping folks, again, build great development and software, not bug-free, but highly responsive team. They moved quick, working with top firms, 50 clients last year as they continue to scale, all 100% bootstrapped. Nepal, thank you for taking us to the top. Thank you very much, Nathan.